God still has a plan. I want you to say that out loud. God still has a plan. God's plans have not changed. <laughs> the uh, plans of the world, they come and go and they change, and our plans are constantly changing, but God does not change. Aren't you encouraged that he does not change? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm encouraged that his word says that he is good. That means when I choose to believe the word that Everything, all things work together for the good, right, of those who are called according to his purpose, who love him. Amen. Amen. So he has a plan. He has a purpose. And my Bible, not my circumstances, not my emotions, not my intellect, not my perception, but my Bible. And that's who I choose to be directed by. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it has been unlocked for me to understand. And it says that all things, everything work together for the good. And I choose to believe his word more than I believe anything else. Amen. And we need to believe his word just like that for every single area of our lives. Amen. I want to get right into his word. I want you to turn in your Bible or look to the screen. We're going to look again. I want to start uh, in one of the verses here that I looked at last week, and I want you to uh, pay attention. The Lord's got some things to say today, and I believe he's got a word for us right here and right now. It's a now word for this season, and it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. He said, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. Everybody say a good soldier. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Right? Soldiers are separated. Soldiers are not civilians anymore. Their lives are not their own. They have signed their name over for a time being or a career to uh, be under someone else's control for a season of their life. So it says, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them if they're tied up. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Now, that's a key today. We, we've been talking in the last weeks and even the last couple months that uh, God is separating his people. And a key verse here through the whole picture is verse 5. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules, or you have to run the race according to the guidelines of the race. Amen. And it says, finally, in verse 20, 2 Timothy chapter 2, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you, everybody say, if I keep myself pure. 
That's talking to me, right? That's talking to yourself, this verse. It's not the Holy Spirit keeping you pure. Yes, you cannot do it in your own strength. It is truly and 100% by the Holy Spirit's strength. But by his strength, you do it. Say, I do it. The word says that I must do it, right? Amen. I keep myself pure. It says, I want you to say this out loud. I will be a special utensil for honorable use. It says our lives will be clean and we'll, we will be ready for the master to use for every good work. Amen. The Amplified Classic says in verse 21, it says, So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself, he who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. I'm not here to talk to you today about how to get to heaven. I'm not here to talk to you about the blood of Jesus on the cross that cleansed your sin from you once and for all and purchased your life and gave you eternity. I want to talk to you about what it truly means, some questions I want us to start to ask. What does it mean because we are, if we are saved and if we have been washed in his blood, what does it mean to truly be a Christian? What does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be people of God? What kind of faith does God truly require from us? These are some of the questions I want us to ask ourselves, and I'm going to begin to ask in the next weeks. God does not have two different types of Christians in the earth. There is not... The mediocre, lazy Christian, and the super-Christian. God has his people, period, his people. And I will not tell you, because I can't define it. I've searched his word through and through, and many scholars have, and then people who think they're smart try to write books on it, but we truly don't know where grace begins and where grace ends. There is a point where the Holy Spirit has been luring a person and they finally commit to him. Now, some people say it's a prayer that they made at, the, at a pulpit. I'm not discounting the prayer, but some of those people that prayed those prayers went on to do you know, be, went back to their drug dealing and went back to their affairs and went back to their murdering. And so I don't think that a, a prayer at a pulpit is it. Although that prayer, if it was prayed in sincerity and the, the heart change and the life change, then that prayer was real. Does that make sense? But at some point, so I don't want you to try to figure out, you know, the, the starting point, but maybe you do know in your life, but there is a point 
where you've received his grace. His grace was free, but there's a point where you activated it in your life through belief and through faith, and then that faith became action as we've been looking at. The book of James says, your faith without action is what? Is dead, is useless. It does not exist. It's only words. It's not real. It's going to be the action, the lifestyle that follows that really proves that the faith that you say you have is real. And at some point, that grace is with us for a season to cover sin, even though we've believed. Many of us, right, you know, you are still being convicted by the Holy Spirit today to change. And I don't try to put yourself on a scale. The worst thing we can do and the most hypocritical thing we can do, the pharisaical thing we can do, like the brother of the prodigal, <clears throat> is to try to define your sin versus someone else's and put yourself on a chart and try to figure out your righteousness and God's grace. That's the worst thing we can do. Every single person on the earth really has a very simple path to Jesus. It is humility and repentance. Every single person on earth. Now, their specific path, how long that takes, the stuff, the stumbling blocks, the stuff that went through, you know, they went through as a child that God's giving them extra grace for that you don't have. You cannot look to the left and the right. You must just look at him and know that I've been it's been revealed in my heart this is not right and I need to change so I'm going to give it to you because I don't know how to do it on my, on my own. And Lord, I thank you that my faith is already activated. Your grace, it's covering me while you're working it out. And I thank you that I'm not going to walk in it forever. And one day I'm going to be free from this issue. And I thank you, Lord, that in the meantime, my place in heaven is secure because I'm looking to you. Amen. That is the process for every human on the earth that wants to come to Christ. It is so simple. We complicate it with all kinds of things. And the, the real issue is we want to look at each other and we want to compare and we want to see what they've been through. And, well, you know, I don't know about them and, and what they're a little too holy for me, in fact. Imagine that. Some people are too holy. They're just a little too separated for me. Live a little. Wow. That's, that's dangerous too. God has called us, whether you are a, we need to understand something, and I've been talking about this, it's been a couple months, so you can listen to some of the other sermons. This is all building upon the same thing the Lord's been talking about for the last couple months, and it's this. Just sum it up very simply in this. God is our Father, and we are his children. The Bible says you cannot come to him unless you come to him like a child. Amen. That doesn't mean uh, that you, because, uh, you know, they, they, he's asking Jesus, Nicodemus is asking Jesus, how's that possible? I'm an old man. How do I enter my mother's womb again? It does not mean that you are suddenly, you know, uh, five years old, even though you're 65 years old, and you act like a baby. It means that you take all of your life experiences, all your wisdom, all your knowledge, all, I mean, Paul said, I was schooled 
You want to talk about the guy who was separated in the, in the ways of religion. It was me, and I count it all rubbish before Christ. It's all trash. To become born again and become a child means I lower down every single part of me. Every single thing, just like a soldier, just like uh, the, the race that's been set before us. There are parameters and there are rules, and I'm not going to try to figure it all out. I'm just going to put myself here and say, Lord, here's my life, just like a child, so simple, just set in his arms. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any, uh, you know, uh, stipulations you know you have to do this this and that for me otherwise i'm a you know i'm leaving you don't make my life good by tomorrow i'm i'm see ya we come like a, ch a child humble and just submitted to him and immediately what happens is just like children in the world that parents good parents not we're not talking about worldly parents maybe you were raised by one and i'm sorry for that from the lord Raised by, uh, raised by a bad parent. You know, some people had single parents, no parents. But if you were raised by good parents, their desire for you as a child was to what? To grow, to mature. A parent would feel very dissatisfied if their 30-year-old child is still acting like a 5-year-old child. But if the parent is expecting the 5-year-old the to act like a 30-year-old, there's also something wrong, isn't there? God is not expecting you to act beyond your age. He is not expecting you to be a super Christian overnight. But what God is looking for, his church, once and for all, I mean, I hear it from like the Spirit of God, like finally will my church get this, that, I, that it's time to get out of preschool. And I'm not talking about uh, more knowledge, okay? Knowledge puffs up. I'm not talking about we need to just know things. When I want to know God, I actually have to get lower. I got to get weaker. I have to get more humble. Paul said that God, I had received so much wisdom from God that he put a thorn in my side, a prick. The Bible says it's like a slap on the ear, like a constant slapping of the ear, that there was this tormenting that, and he says, God, take it away. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient for you. I put that there on purpose so that you have to lean on me and you can't just lean on your uh, enormous information. It's wisdom when it's submitted to God, but without God, it's dangerous. It just becomes, it becomes pride and information and becomes your own strength. And so God is actually calling us and separating us in this hour I feel like once and for all, and I've said this, maybe I'm going to go to my grave and they'll say, oh, he used to say this all the time and it didn't happen, and you know what, then I'll answer to God for it. But what I feel like I need to say, what I've been saying is that you will not make it if you don't get this part with God right. If we do not get serious with God and let him mature us, and you know, it doesn't have to take... 18 years like a child on earth. It does not. God is supernatural. Okay, so I want to talk about a progressive, uh, you know, progressive growth. There is a maturity. He's not expecting you to be 30 at 5, but he doesn't need it to take 25 years to go from 5 to 30 because he's God. 
Right? Some Christians, you look at their life and you're like, whoa, they've been, they've been saved here for a couple of years and they're like more mature than Christians I know have been saved for 50 years. And then you look at a Christian who's been for 50 years and you're like, whoa, man, still a five-year-old. We're not judging them, but just where they're at with God. That they're still, they've been saved for 50 years and they just think nothing of, just blah, 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 blah. You can imagine the words out of the mouth. <laughs> I'm not saying them. I mean, something should have changed by now. I'm not saying, I'm not God, and I, I don't know how long it's to take. So, Lord, forgive me. Take the, the, take the plank out of my eye. I don't know. That's your child. <laughs> but it doesn't appear. It doesn't appear out of my perception that they've submitted their life to you for your working and your moving, if they are still able to talk like that after 50 years of Christianity. Just like a child in the natural, we come to him, and a child is blankets, and it's cuddly, it's teddy bears, it's just cozy love, right, like a child. And as my sons get older, as your children's get, children get older, the love that you have towards them actually becomes more and more tangible to them because now they're there's more understanding of what real love is, but if they were addicted to the cuddly, teddy bear, blankie type of love, they're not going to find it as much with me, and it's not that my love has decreased, it's that their maturity has increased, and so now their perception of what God's love is and his relationship with us is also needs to grow. And so a Christian who's obsessed with that lovey-dovey part of God, which is not bad. I mean, ultimately, I love my children more every day. So imagine how much God loves us every day. Can you imagine his love increases? I don't think it can, but if it could, it would. He would love us more. He said, I already love you as much as I could because I gave my own son for you. But if he could love us more, he would. So it's not a lack of love, but what's happening is, is we call this, we actually have an earthly term for what God is doing with his church in this hour. It's called tough love. You know that earthly term, tough love? It's when a parent says, the best thing I can do for you is severely punish you. And the child says, what? But the parent says, this is how I'm going to love you. My love right now is to severely punish you. In fact, it might even be for a season to kick you out of my house. That's how I'm going to love you right now. If a child will not give it, will not submit, and keeps bringing their drugs into the house, right? And the parent says, I can't have this in my house anymore. I love you so much that I'm going to kick you out of the house. Incredible, isn't it? God's love is actually so abundant for us and so incredible to us that he desires us to mature and he will let us experience hard things and hard seasons in our life to actually obtain that maturity and experience ultimately more of his love. The Bible says the greatest love is to lay down your life for one another. How can I teach a five-year-old that 
laying my life down is the best love to them. Their mind cannot understand it. But a 25-year-old now has come to the understanding of what, starting to understand what life is and willing even 18-year-olds go and sign themselves up, right, to be soldiers for us. And they know that when they do that, they want to come home alive and and percentage-wise, most of them do, but they also know that when I sign my name on this paperwork today that there is a chance that I'm going to give my life for love of the people that I'm leaving here behind. And so as we mature, our understanding of his love increases, and what God is actually doing is causing his church right now in this hour to start to ask the questions And if we don't ask the questions, we're just going to get lost in the mix of the world. Get lost in the mix. They are about to muddy the waters like you've never seen before in history. Christianity in the United States of America is about to become so muddy, so unclear, so mixed up, you are not going to, they're going to try to erase as much of Christianity and its history as possible in the coming years. And if you don't get it now, what it truly means to be a believer, what it truly means to be one of his now, it will be easy to go along with the masses and just follow the sheep. We must be separated, as the word says, now. We must be separated. The Bible says his love was so great for us that he laid down his own life, right? He sent his only son. Jesus said, I laid down my own life willingly. And God is calling us to be a part of that kingdom and part of that family. And the Bible says that we must choose to become pure. I want you to say pure, holy. These are words we don't talk about anymore in the church, holiness, purity. Because we call those things high-mindedness, right? We call things like holiness. We say that that's like, you know, uh, that's you trying to portray your Christianity that's that's uh there's a word my mind's going blank because I got so much in it right now there's a word for it I used to get called it all the time actually it'll come to me there's a specific Christian a derogatory word in Christianity what is it legalistic legalistic that was a word used to call me legalistic Legalistic, legal, legal, is that, wait, legal, is that a bad thing? Legal, so you want me to be, wait a second, so legalistic is bad, so you want me to be illegalistic, I get it, I get it, you would rather me be illegalistic, sorry, you get, I mean, isn't that funny that they literally have in Christianity a derogatory term called legalistic, but it's obvious antonym is illegalistic because that's really what it is the devil's done a good job at least in my lifetime to make christianity about feelings and about self and just about me and just about my comforts the perfect temperature perfect cup of coffee in the entryway perfect driveway coming in perfect experience at church and it's taken away the sanctity, the sanctified, the set-apartness, the consecrated, the holy, because he is holy. 
You know, God's word, I say this often, but God's word does not change and God does not change. You know that God is who he said he is and he does not change. I want to read some verses here before I run out of time. I want you just to hear some verses to really understand that we are to be separated. I want you to say we are to be separated. Separated does not mean to be a Christian versus non-Christian. I know that this is like splitting hairs. But you're going to actually have to talk about being a... This is not in pride. This is not something you're going to brag about to anybody out there in the world. Or in your Christianity especially. You're not going to brag about this. But there, there's going to be a new saying, which is... I mean, we've talked about it privately for many years, but a remnant, a real Christian versus a fake Christian. We're not going to say those words outside this room. You're not going to point to your point to them. You're going to pray for them, right? You're going to plead before the Lord for those ones that you think might not be real. We're not going to make ourselves higher, but it's not non-Christian versus Christian anymore because Christian, I just heard a poll the other day, I, I think like 80% of the U.S. considers themselves Christian. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that's between them and the Lord, ultimately. That's why I'll, I'm going to choose to live by the word and preach the word. And if God wants to give grace to those that don't seem to line up with the word, from my perception, I'm not God. But I'm not mess. It's basically like this. If you tell me that fire doesn't hurt you, so be it. But I'm not putting my hand in there. Okay. And I don't encourage any of you to. Now, if they can get away with it, that's between them and God. But that is not going to be my message. It appears others are getting away with it. You can too. Go for it. Just a few verses. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 1, Revelations, not Revelations. It's actually Revelation, but it's easy to say Revelations. A lot of people do. I just did. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 he has made us a kingdom. You may know it as kings and priests. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 2 verse 9 says something very similar. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, You are not like that. That's the world. You are a chosen people. Say, I'm a chosen people people. It says you are royal priests. Say, I'm a royal priest. All right, this is the book of Peter. This is New Testament. It says to us as the church, we are priests. Now, there's been a teaching throughout the last 2,000 years that you're the people and they're the priests. You're the people. I'm the priest which is a lie from Satan. <laughs> there are positions. I have a pastoral role, a shepherding role here on Sundays. But you are all in this room, every single person, priest before the Lord. There is not those that are out in the world. In fact, there used to be teachings about this verse. I love how in Revelation 1, some are kings, some are priests, and that's why the NLT translates it a kingdom of priests. In fact, if you go to the new, new King James, you'll see a note in there that says this most likely is the word kingdom and not kings 
Because it used to be, well, there was people in the world, and I'm not talking about us not going into the world and doing things for God in the world. I just mean there was this teaching that there are people in the church and there are people in the world. They're two separate things, and that's a lie from Satan. I'm a priest. You're a priest. I work in the world during the week. I'm working in this building on Sunday. I'm a priest seven days a week. Amen. A priest is not for the people. A priest was for God. Wow. I want you to say that out loud. A priest is not for the people. A priest was for God. God's desire, even Old Testament, was that everyone, he just wanted to be their king and welcome them all as one nation and be their king. They didn't want it that way. We want it ordered. We want to be like other nations. We want separation, and we want people to tell us what to do. This way we can dictate how we can get away with it. You know, the stuff that in between the lines, the gray, because if God, God is leading us, then there probably isn't much gray. If I'm a priest, then i got to be much more holy than if I'm just a people. If I'm just a Christian, I can get away with some stuff. But if I'm a priest, ooh. I mean, even the world, right? Watch, just watch a worldly movie, right? A bad guy pulls out a gun. I mean, some of the movies are going so dark. They don't do this anymore, but old movies, right? Bad guy pulls out a gun, shoots a person, no big deal. He sees a guy in a priest outfit. It's like, whoa, I'm going to let you go. Why? Just because even the world understood there was something more special about a priest versus just, you know, just a person. The Bible doesn't actually separate priests and people. The Bible says we are all priests. In fact, it says you are a royal priest, a holy nation. Everybody say we're a holy nation. It says that you are God's very own possession. Say, I'm possessed by God. God's possession means he owns me. I serve him. It says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. What I love here is that Peter goes on to say just normal Christian statements. Darkness into light, no identity, identity. Had no mercy, have no mercy, but he starts off the statement by being priest, which means I, all of us would look at verses, the rest of verse 9 and the rest of 10 is like, yeah, that's all Christians. But Peter says, if you want to have an identity in God, if you want mercy in God, if you want to be in his light, then you are also his possession and his priest. There is no other way. There's not get saved, become a Christian, and then maybe become a priest. There are different calls. He says he gives us all different calls, and there are people that are good at working with people, right? Better than others. We all know those ones that work with people, and there are those that really work well in the office, and that needs to be done. That's not being a priest, that's just handling the workings of what we do here on Sunday mornings, but we are heavenly holy priest amen i'm not going to beat that you guys get it i want you to say it out loud so you believe me i am god's priest i want you to hear a story about some priest we just read this recently it's in the book of leviticus chapter 10 i want you to say it again i'm a priest 
Okay, you said it. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, actually, you know what, I'm going to read this first before you go there. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8, verse 34. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 34, it says, uh, Everything we have done today was commanded by the Lord in order to purify you. Wow, that's the exact word we're hearing, New Testament. Peter says to be pure, to be separated, making you right with him. Now stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do every, every I want you to hear this out loud. I want you to say, I want you to hear yourself say this out loud. I'm doing everything the Lord requires. He says, because if you fail to do this, you will die. Who loves the word of God? Who's encouraged today? I just want to encourage you. I want to build up your faith. I want to encourage your spirit today. Now, no one shut me down and say, this is Leviticus. Don't do it, because I'm going to turn it right back on your head. Don't do it. Don't say that's Old Testament, because we're going to pull out some more New Testament, bring it out again. <laughs> no one's doing that in here. Churches will do that. Believe me, listen, I've been a Christian a long time, and as soon as you mention Leviticus, they just shut down. That's not for me. That's funny because Peter just said, I'm a priest, we're holy priests, so how do we separate the two? You know, when the Bible said we're freed from the law, you know what he really meant by that? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. You know what law you were freed from, and thank God because I'd be in trouble today? The law said you couldn't wear linen and cotton together. So, today I'd get in trouble. But when the law said, do not murder... Jesus said, hey, I'm going to show you how I'm fulfilling it and not abolishing it. You say, I don't murder, I'm holy. I say, do you even hate your brother in your heart? Because if you hate in your heart, you have murder, murdered before me. Does Jesus make it even more severe or, or easier? Does he make it easier or worse than Leviticus? All right, you want to play that game that we're freed from the law, we're under grace, well then let's go to the words of Jesus, who is the epitome of grace. Jesus said, you want to play that game, that's fine. Let's go to your heart. Let's deal with the heart. Amen? All right, that's not for you. You're like, that's not for me. That's just out there. Maybe someone listening on the podcast. But he says here in Leviticus 8 that they did everything, and it says if you fail to do this, then we die, for this is what the Lord has commanded. You mean the Lord commands things and expects us to do them? Come on. I'm under the grace of Christ. I can do whatever I want. Paul said, sure, you can do whatever you want, but not everything's good for you. I think he was a little light. I think the language is a little light there. I think the translation is a little soft. I think what he really meant is, listen, sure, God's not going to strike you with lightning instantly. You can do whatever you want. I don't advise it. It's like telling my kid, I'm gonna, Elijah says, I'm going to come home at 2 a.m. tonight. Sure, you can come home at 2. That's fine. I mean, you have that right. Don't expect to drive tomorrow, but, I mean, you can do that. <laughs> Amen? Do we get it? <laughs> he lets us, but that doesn't mean that he's approving it. All right? He has commands, and he has it for a reason. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. Okay, so that's Leviticus 8. Leviticus 10, in verse 1, 
Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burner and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him, everybody say, the wrong kind, or your version might be strange or profane. Those are some versions. It was wrong, it was profane, it was strange. It was the fire different than what he had commanded. God had commanded it, and they got it. Leviticus 8, they did it. They were purified. They're separated. We get this. We're Levites. You know, the Levites didn't even get the Levites uh, separate from the, the, the children of Israel. Uh, they had no land, no inheritance. They were provided for by God, and they had to remain clean and pure. You are not a children of Israel. You are a Levite. You have to understand that. Jesus is a priest, the holy priest, and we are in his line. Do you understand that? You cannot look at the children. This is where we can divide the line, Old Testament, New Testament. You cannot read the Old Testament and see the children of Israel get away with things and think you can do what they did because you are a Levite. The Levites had a much higher standard. Jesus, we could go through so many verses, we just don't have time, but he is the high priest. I'm not under old Adam. Say, I'm not under old Adam. The Bible says clearly, I've been reborn under the new Adam, Jesus Christ. I am a priest serving under the headship of the high priest, the holy priest, Jesus. Which means, as a Christian, I am a Levite. Well, the Levites, Nadab and Abihu, they brought a strange, a foreign, a wrong fire into God's presence. And it says, verse 2, that the fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. It goes on, actually, in verse 6, and God says to Moses, to Aaron, he says, do not show grief. By leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes, if you do, you will die. And the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu. He was so severe about what happened here that he even told them, you are not. Do not even mourn for them because you heard me clearly. I told you clearly. I told you exactly what I wanted you to do. And in fact, the Bible says they did it, which means they understood the right ways and they disobeyed. And God says that he killed them for it. And if you want to, to grieve over that, you want to, you know, try to, which is basically, you know, what he's really trying to say here as well is don't get mad at God because you could get into the verses here. He kind of vents a little bit to Moses. Don't get mad at God. I told you how I wanted it to be done. And so the Bible does not explain exactly what the fire was or where they got it or, or why it was so evil, except it, it says this, that it was God had a specific way and they didn't take his way seriously. They didn't take it seriously. In fact, they thought it plain. It says, I just read, and it says, uh, just a, a quick note on this. When they did it their way, instead of what God directed, God killed them for it. 
God is gracious through the blood of Jesus, and he gives grace and mercy, but we must be very careful how we treat God, treat God's time, God's word, and goes on to say that we have basically a facade of God's grace and his mercy and how he looks, doesn't see our sins and doesn't see our issues. Uh, goes on to say that the, basically uh, that the, the issue is that the aspect of the modern church that most saddens, let me just read here, and concerns me is that believers are no longer encouraged to have a healthy fear of God. We seem to assume that the fear of the Lord is something that belonged to the Old Testament period and not to be part of the life of a Christian. But fear of God involves not simply a trembling before his wrath, but a sense of reverence and awe because of his glorious holiness. Even though we are living on the finished side of the cross, the fear of the Lord is still the beginning of his wisdom. God is still a consuming fire, a jealous God, gives the, the quotes there. When we come into his presence, we are to come as children, as those who have been reconciled, but there is a godly fear inspired by respect for the one whom we are dealing with. Don't forget that the opportunity to know God personally is based on his gracious invitation to an always unworthy people, a gift that should not be taken for granted. This is a very serious thing that God has called us into to be a Christian. His grace and his mercy and his blood is unbelievable. It's unfathomable. It's just amazing. Unfathomable in our human mind, his, his blood and his mercy and what he did for us. We can't even understand it in our human mind. And we have this tender-hearted love from him that is amazing, and yet then he begins to teach us and to mold us and to shape us and mature us, and suddenly we think that he has retreated from us, but he is not retreating from us. He is actually training us to be priests for his temple. And the training is sharp and it's severe, but we must submit and listen to it because God's way is his ways, and he has a, he has a reason for why he needs you to be so holy and so pure. And you know, ultimately, it's to protect you. <laughs> God's not protecting himself. He's protecting you. Say, God is protecting me by telling me to be holy because he's holy. That's in Peter as well. Be holy because I'm holy. Peter goes on. and I mean, you could, we could just read his whole book today. The Bible says in Romans, just a few more things quickly here. The Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 11, it talks about how we've been grafted in. Everybody say grafted in. Do you know what that means? That means, you know, they still do it to this day. We take a, a branch and we cut it off of a good living tree and we make room. We cut a branch off of another tree and we, they tape it in or tie it in and get that branch tight into the into a tree that it didn't come from, right? And eventually, if they've done it right, they can actually get that branch to become one with the tree, and now that tree will supply through this new branch, and it's called grafting. We still do it, and now this branch is a part of the tree. And the Bible says in Romans 11 that that's exactly what happened to us. It goes on, you can read it on your own time, uh, verses 17 through 23, just quickly how it talks about how we've been grafted in. 
And we were, it says that we were wild. <laughs> Who was wild before they came to Christ? It says we were a wild olive tree, right? We were wild, but he grafted us into his tree. But it says in verse 18, you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. It says you are just a branch. Everybody say, I'm just a branch. And then it says, verse 19, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Verse 20 says, yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. It says, so don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. Verse 21, for God did not spare the original branches, and he, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both, both kind and and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue. Everybody say, if I continue to trust in his kindness, but if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. When's the last time you heard this verse preached in a church? We don't talk about these things anymore. We're afraid because we're going to offend people telling me I'm going to get cut off. The Bible says clearly, it says, don't become arrogant by what's, been, what's happened to you here. This is something supernatural, and God did it because of his grace and his mercy. Just stay submitted. Just stay in that place. You didn't do anything to get there. Now just stay there. What's that mean? Don't let, don't let junk, when he comes, and that's another sermon, but when he comes to prune you, let him prune you. Just stay in that place. It says if we continue, it says we continue, his kindness will continue towards us. It says if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. I want to look next week at Hebrews chapter 10, but before we close, I just want to read from there. We'll look at it again. But Hebrews chapter 10 just starts this way. He starts to talk about the same kind of thing that a Romans 11 is, that we have the Old Testament, and we have all these pictures. We have all these, we call them types and shadows. They are stories of people that uh, either uh, went through experiences, uh, and, uh, or we, we hear a quick brief things about them, and, and we hear God's rules and his regulations and his laws, and then that becomes, you know, like we just cut that off. It becomes separated. We take all the good stuff. We take Abraham's blessing, and we take the faith of David, and we just cut everything else off of the Old Testament, and we kind of merge together and create our own little gospel for ourselves. Now, there is some truth in this sense, and this is what it is, is that the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that there was an old system, and we'll look more into this. Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. And he goes on to talk about how the, it was sacrifices, it was an animal, and ultimately that Jesus replaced that animal. He goes on and says that Jesus became, in fact, as we talked about today, in the, in the 20s verses here, just for time, I'm not going to get into it, but that he became the high priest. And then he says in verse 26, so he says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. 
There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is what I was talking about. Jesus uh, fulfilled the law. He did not abolish it. We're not worried about wearing cotton and linen, and there's lots of other stuff in there that we don't have to worry about, but there are moral laws that did not change, and that's what he says. So he says, verse 29, just think, everybody say, just think. It says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Now, we'll get more into this, but I, wanted to, I needed to get this verse in today, and I'm trying to be uh, careful with your time as well. But what we see here in the Word is that there is a person who comes to Christ, God has called them a priest. And it's easy if you uh, visualize your Christianity from uh, just teaching alone and just, mu- uh, just the, you know, the music that you hear on the radio alone, you could come up with a Christianity that is very easy and very light and very soft, and it's just about his love, and it's just about his grace, and I just love him so much. And that's, all of those things I said are fine, and that is the foundation. Without that, I certainly, if I don't understand his childlike love, I will not understand him when he starts to discipline me, right? I have to understand his love for me first. I'm not negating what I just said. But the true Christian is truly a priest, and God gives us grace So because of of Jesus and his grace, we don't get struck dead when we bring in a foreign thing into the temple. But that does not mean, and we read it right here in Romans, we read it in chapter 11 and Hebrews 10. He actually says, if I was that severe in the Old Testament, when it was just the blood of an animal that we were talking about to get into that place, now it's the blood of my son. Yes, it cleansed you, it welcomed you, it loved you, it, it washed you clean and remembered your sins no more, and there's nothing you can do to earn it, and you can't, and you don't need to bring me all your junk every day and keep reminding me of it because I don't remember it anymore, okay? All of that is true. But that same blood of Jesus is so powerful and so serious that he said if we treat it with disrespect, it's as if we're trampling on it. And really what the Bible says, when I go to my word, well, what, was, what did he do? He dealt with it quickly and with death. That if we don't truly respect, it's not just that we love it, but that we respect it. There's, a, there's that, we, have to, we love our parents and we respect our parents, right? That place where we understand their love and that love turns into respect. Do you know what that is? You understand what that is? It's one thing to understand his love. I can understand my parents. I can understand their love. But really, I have not really loved them back until I respect their love by doing what they've told me to do. I can say I love them. I can say I love them so much, and they just love me so much. I just don't do what they say. 
I don't really love them then. And we go, well, I don't murder. I don't lie. I don't cheat. We put ourselves on that chart again. All these guys did is brought some fire. Maybe it was just convenient. Maybe they're just like, I just don't feel like starting a new fire. Here's some coals from another fire. Put them in and walked in. I don't know. We don't know what they did. But we cannot treat God as if he is common and unholy. And I'll just, I'll make time for you when I have time. And I'll read, you know, it's just, it's going to have to work with my schedule, God. You're going to have to work with my schedule and, and I'm just, I'll, I will, all right, I'll attend church. I'll go to church, fine. I'll be a good Christian. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll even go to Bible study. All right, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do a devotion every day. And, and, and that's, God's grace covers it. But there's a time coming where the weeds, God's not going to do it. The world's going to do it for you. The weeds, wheat and the tares, it's going to become clear because it might be that if you go to church, you're putting your name on a list, and in any day you might be arrested, and at that point you're going to have to choose. I'm not going there because it's something I have to do, but it's because something I know that I, I need to be there because I love my God, because I'm part of his kingdom, that I'm not just going to a place, but I'm, this is what I am. Amen? Amen. I'll just let the Holy Spirit do some more digging in that into your hearts and just put it into your heart, and I just pray, Lord Jesus, you just take this word, Lord, just take this word, and I just pr I pray, Lord God, you plant it down deep in us. God, you put it down so deep inside of our hearts and just protect it. I pray where the evil one comes, your word says to steal the seed and just pick them off the surface. And that we're not going to put this on the surface, Lord God, and just underground, but Lord, down deep to protect your word. And truly be, Lord God, your people. We thank you, Lord God. We just pray in the name of Jesus right now for your blood to cover this church and Lord, for your angels to surround them every moment of every day. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You're leading us. You are guiding us. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. You have a plan and a purpose for us. And we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.